إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد so we're on the chapter now, Bab Fadlu Tawheed wa ma yukaffiru min al-dhunub. The chapter regarding the virtues of Tawheed and what it expiates from sins. The chapter regarding the virtues of Tawheed and what it expiates from the sins. So Shaykh Al-Fawzan, Hafizahullah Ta'ala mentions here now, that when the author now says, Bab, Fadlit Tawheedi wa ma yukaffiru min al-dunub, thumma saqa fi hadha al-bab, ayatan min kitabillah, wa ahadith an rasulillahi sallam, tubayyinu fadlat tawheed, wa tubayyinu ma yukaffiruhu min al-dunub. In this chapter now, the shaykh says, the author, al-shaykh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab, rahimahullahu ta'ala, he mentions an ayah of the Qur'an and several ahadith, all of which highlight to us the virtues of Tawheed and what Tawheed expiates or wipes out from sins. وَالْمُنَاسَبَةِ بَيْنَ هَذَا الْبَابِ وَالَّذِي قَبْلَهُ مُنَاسَبَةِ ظَاهِرَةِ And the connection between this chapter and the chapter that came before it is clear. فَإِنَّهُ رَحِمَهُ اللَّهِ لَمَّا بَيَّنَ فِي الْبَابِ الَّذِي قَبْلَهُ حَقِيقَةَ التَّوْحِيدِ وَمَعْنَى التَّوْحِيدِ الْمَطْلُوبِ وَوَضَّحَ ذَلِكَ بِالْآيَاتِ الْقُرْآنِيَّةِ وَالْأَحَادِيثِ النَّبَوِيَّةِ نَاسَبَ أَنْ يُذَكِّرَ فَضْلَهُ لِيَرْغَبَ فِيهِ أو لِيَرْغَبَ فِيهِ وَيَحِثُّ عَلَيْهِ لِأَنَّ الشَّيْءَ إِذَا عُرِفَتْ مَزَايَاهُ فَإِنَّ النَّفْسَ تَتَعَلَّقُ بِهِ وَتَحْرُسُ عَلَيْهِ so in the previous chapter, the shaykh had mentioned the definition of Tawheed. And the rububiyyah, the uluhiyah, the names and attributes, and that we've been created to worship Allah upon Tawheed, and that the right of Allah upon us is that we worship Him upon Tawheed. All of those details were mentioned in the previous chapter. In this chapter now, the shaykh is then going to explain the virtues of this Tawheed, and how this Tawheed can wipe out your sins, because that will then get a person to be interested, and to be enthusiastic about wanting to learn about this Tawheed. If that person knows that this Tawheed can wipe out his sins, then the person will want to know, what is this Tawheed? What are the details of it? What are the affairs that are linked to this Tawheed? Because the person wants to be able to have his sins wiped out by it. So the person wants to know therefore, he gains an enthusiasm for wanting to know what are the uh, virtues of this Tawheed and what are the distinguishing factors of this Tawheed. So here, those virtues are going to be mentioned. The first ayah that the shaykh, he quotes in this chapter is, the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَلَمْ يَلْبِسُوا إِمَانَهُمْ بِذُلْمِ أُولَٰئِكَ لَهُمُ الْأَمْنِ 
وَهُمْ مُهْتَدُونَ That those who have iman, Allah says the meaning of which is, those who have iman, then they do not mix their iman with dhulm. They have iman, then they don't mix their iman with dhulm. They are the ones who will have the security, the safety, and they are the ones who will be rightly guided. When this ayah was revealed, it was actually after the discussion that occurred between Ibrahim salam and his people. This ayah was revealed after mentioning the discussion that occurred between Ibrahim salam and his people. The people of Ibrahim salam who used to worship the stars and the moon and all types of different statues and idols etc. They used to worship those affairs in the land of Iraq at that time. So then Ibrahim salam was sent to them to call them to Tawheed. And there was not a single Muslim at that time. When Ibrahim salam was sent to those people, there were no Muslims there at all. When Ibrahim salam first came to them, all of them were upon this idol worship, the stars and the moon and other affairs. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned when Ibrahim salam went to them and then he debated with them, and he informed them about the worship of Allah. So it's mentioned, for example, when Ibrahim salam mentioned to his own father, وَإِذْ قَالَ إِبْرَاهِيمُ لِأَبِيهِ آزَرِ When Ibrahim salam said to his father, Azar, he began with his own father, because that is the important of the affairs, those who are close to you and your relatives. So he began with his own father, his own family, the neighbors, that is where the da'wah begins. And he said, وَإِذْ قَالَ إِبْرَاهِيمُ لِأَبِيهِ آزَرَ When Ibrahim said to his father, Azar, أَتَتَّخِذُ أَصْنَامًا آلِهَا Do you take idols as gods? Do you take these idols as gods? إِنِّي أَرَاكَ وَقَوْمَكَ فِي ضَلَالٍ مُّبِينَ I think you and your people, I see you and your people in much misguidance in clear misguidance, that you're taking these idols to worship them. In another ayah, Ibrahim salam said to his people, إِذْ قَالَ لِأَبِيهِ وَقَوْمِهِ مَا هَذِهِ التَّمَاثِيلُ الَّتِي أَنْتُمْ لَهَا عَاكِفُونَ What are these statues and things that you people are standing next to them, you people are spending all your time with them, you're making the i'tikaf next to them, spending all your time next to them. What are these idols and these statues? So Ibrahim salam, he debated with his people in this way. And it is mentioned that when Ibrahim salam was debating with his people and explaining to them the reality of Tawheed, he debated with them as it's mentioned in the Qur'an with certain examples. <coughs> so it's mentioned. When the night came and it went dark, Ibrahim saw a star. So he said, Maybe this is my Lord, the star. But then, as it's mentioned, this was only from the debating point of view. 
Ibrahim knew that the star was not his Lord. But he was debating with his people to show them the falsehood of what they were worshipping. So he said, maybe the star is my Lord. But then when the moon came out, he said, the moon is much bigger than the star. Maybe the moon is my Lord. When the moon disappeared, when the daytime came and the sun came, he said, maybe the sun is my Lord. And then the sun disappears and sets in the evening, so that's gone as well. So he was showing to the people, none of these things can be my Lord. How can the star be my Lord? And then all of a sudden the moon is bigger than the star. How can the moon be my Lord? At night time it's there, but when day comes it disappears. And then the sun, maybe the sun is my Lord. But how can my sun, or how can the sun be my Lord, when in the evening it sets and it disappears too? So he was using these examples in those ayat as a refutation of those people. To show them that this sun and the moon and the stars, none of these can be your Lord. How can any of these be your Lord and they are there for a little while and then they disappear? The sun is there during the day, disappears at night. The moon is there during the night, it disappears at the day. So he showed to them people that it was stupidity. That they were worshipping those idols. They were worshipping these statues, the sun, the moon and these things. So this ayah was revealed after or it is mentioned after the debate that Ibrahim had with his people and he was showing them the incorrectness of what they are worshipping. So then this ayah is mentioned after that, الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَلَمْ يَلْبِسُوا إِمَانَهُمْ بِذُلْمِ That those who have iman, then do not mix their iman with dhulm. They don't mix their iman with dhulm. They are the ones who have the safety and the security, and they are the ones who are rightly guided. When this ayah was revealed, when this ayah was revealed, then the companions they went and asked the Prophet ﷺ about it. Because they weren't sure about this ayah. They said, how come? How can it be that the one who has the safety and the security and the guidance is the one who has iman that doesn't mix with that iman any dhulm? They said, all of us do dhulm sometimes. All of us make mistakes and do these things wrong sometimes. So how are we going to get into this ayah? How are we going to get this meaning? So they went to the Prophet ﷺ. Then the Prophet ﷺ explained to them that the dhulm, this oppression which is mentioned in this ayah, it is not what you think. Because dhulm is three types. There are three types of dhulm. Three types of oppression. One type of dhulm, one type of oppression, is the dhulm that a person commits between himself and Allah. There is a type of dhulm, a type of oppression, wrongdoing, that a person commits between himself and Allah. What is that dhulm and what is that wrongdoing? Shirk. Shirk. That is the type of dhulm that a person commits between himself and Allah. If a person commits that type of dhulm and dies without repenting, what is the end result? Hellfire. Hellfire forever. The second type of dhulm, is when a person does dhulm between himself and who? And other people. He does dhulm between himself and other people. He lies about people, he backbites people, he hits somebody, he steals their money. He does dhulm to other people. If a person dies having done that type of dhulm to other people, without repenting, then what is the end result? It will be settled on the day of judgment. That's when the Prophet ﷺ said in the hadith, أَتَدْرُونَ مَنِ الْمُفْلِسِ 
Do you know who the bankrupt one is? They said, Man la dirham wa la Whoever doesn't have any money, no gold, no silver. But then the Prophet ﷺ said, It is not as you think. The bankrupt one is the person who used to have worship, prayer and fasting and everything. But at the same time, he used to abuse people and slander people and lie people and hit people. So on the day of judgment, they will all come and they will take good deeds of him to themselves. And if he runs out, then they will remove their own bad deeds and put them on him. So the justice will be done between them. If a person commits dhulm to another person and doesn't repent and doesn't give the right back and dies having done it, then that justice will be done on the day of judgment. The third type of dhulm is what? When a person does dhulm between himself and... That was the first type. The first one was between yourself and Allah. The second one is between yourself and other people. The third one is between yourself and... Between yourself and yourself. Correct. Dhulm that you do to yourself. How? How can you do dhulm to yourself? By doing sins. That's it. Smoking. Correct. That's one of the sins. And other types of sins. When you do sins, you are doing dhulm to yourself. How are you doing dhulm to yourself? Because when you sin, and then you don't repent, that means you might get punished for it on the day of judgment. So you're wronging yourself. You're going to get yourself punished on the day of judgment possibly. So you're wronging yourself. You're doing dhulm to yourself by committing sins. So that is the third type. And what is the ruling if a person does that one? You do dhulm to yourself. You wrong yourself. You do oppression by committing all these sins to yourself. On the day of judgment, if you haven't repented when you died, what's the end result of that person? So the scholars, they say, Tahdal Mashi'ah. It is under the will of Allah. Maybe that person will be forgiven. Maybe he won't. Maybe he may be punished first to purify him for, uh, to purify him from the sins that he committed, or maybe Allah will forgive him and enters into paradise directly anyway. So that type of sinning depends on the day of judgment. Depends on your weighing scale. Depends. Uh, maybe you may be forgiven by Allah. Maybe you're not. Depends on the shafa'a. Maybe from the intercession you are saved. So that depends. So here in this ayah, what? Is the meaning shirk that those who have iman then do not mix it with shirk? Those who have iman and do not mix it with shirk, because the shirk type is the one that Allah said can never be forgiven. A person dies upon the shirk type, then there is no forgiveness. Inna Allah la yaghfiru an yushraka Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not forgive that you commit shirk with him. وَيَغْفِرُ مَا دُونَ ذَلِكَ لِمَنْ And he forgives whatever is lesser than that to whom he wills. So the major shirk, that shirk, or the minor shirk as some of the scholars say too, all of that shirk, it cannot be forgiven. The minor shirk though, that would not necessitate staying in the hellfire forever, whereas the major shirk it does. So, these are the different types of oppression and that's what this ayah is saying. That those who have iman, وَلَمْ يَلْبِسُوا إِمَانَهُمْ بِذُلْمِ Then they don't mix their iman up with shirk. They don't have iman and they start doing shirk as well. يَعْنِي بِشِرْكِ هَذَا هُوَ الَّذِي فَسَّرَهَا بِهِ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ فَإِنَّهَا لَمَّا نَزْلَتْ هَذِي الْآيَةِ شَقَّتْ عَلَى الصَّحَابَةِ قَالُوا يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ إِيُّنَا لَا يَظْلِمْ نَفْسَهِ 
قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إنه ليس بالذي تعنون إنه الشرك ألم تسمعوا إلى قول العبد الصالح يا بني لا تشرك بالله إن شرك لظلم عظيم So when the companions came to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم and they said all of us oppress ourselves the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said that's not what it means the ayah means what is already in the Quran in the other ayah where it says يَا بُنَيَّ لَا تُشْرِكْ بِاللَّهِ Oh my son, do not commit shirk with Allah. إِنَّ الشِّرْكَ لَظُلْمٌ عَظِيمٌ In the ayah of the Qur'an, indeed shirk is a great zulm. So in the Qur'an we are told that shirk is zulm. So the Prophet ﷺ said, that's what this ayah means. That those who have iman, then they do not mix it with shirk. Then what is the end result for those people? The ones who have that iman, the aqidah, the tawheed, and they don't mix it with any shirk. What's the reward they get? Allah says, أُولَٰئِكَ لَهُمُ الْأَمْنِ Those people will have the safety and the security. The safety and the security. What's safety and security? Safety and security from the hellfire. Having safety and security, not going into the hellfire. Safe from it, secure from it, guarded from it. The ones who have iman and don't mix that iman with any shirk. They have the aman, i.e. they will be guarded and protected from the hellfire. But this aman, this protection is two types. This protection that this ayah says those people will have is two types. The ones who have iman and don't mix it with any shirk, they will have protection. But there is two types of protection. One is complete protection. Meaning they will not enter hellfire at all, they will go straight to paradise. Complete protection from the hellfire. Some people though will only have partial protection, a part. Which ones are the people who will only have a partial protection from the fire? The ones who had iman, they didn't mix any shirk with it, but they did do other sins. So because of those other sins, it's possible they may end up in the hellfire to be purified from those other sins first, and then enter paradise. But the fact that they enter the hellfire to be punished for those other sins, doesn't mean they'll stay in the hellfire forever. Because they are still within this promise. They had done the iman, the tawheed, the aqidah, and they hadn't mixed it any shirk. So they've got security too. They've got the security of being sure that they will exit the hellfire and go into paradise eventually. So they might be punished first, but then they will exit. They have that partial security that they can't stay in the fire forever because they were people of Tawheed. So they will remove in the end from the hellfire and they will go to the paradise. So those are people who have partial protection. Some people have no protection. The kuffar, the disbelievers, they have no protection. They enter the hellfire because of their shirk and their disbelief and they stay forever. But the Muslims, they either have complete protection, the believers, the ones who did the iman, the tawheed, didn't do any shirk and they didn't do any sins. Or if they did them, they repented to Allah. So they are protected straight to paradise. Other Muslims, believers, mu'minun have partial protection. For the sins, they may go to hellfire first to be punished. But then because that protection is there, they will be removed and they will be taken to paradise afterwards. And also Allah says another thing. They have protection. وَهُمْ مُهْتَدُونَ Another one of the rewards of the people who have iman and don't mix it with any shirk or, or, or oppression of that nature is that they are rightly guided. وَهُمْ مُهْتَدُونَ And this means that they will be rightly guided in this world 
Allah will guide them to the correct way, guide them to the correct actions that they need to do, guide them to the correct worship, the proper worship, not bid'ah, not innovations, not wrongdoing. Allah will keep them guided upon the straight path. That is one of the results, one of the results and one of the rewards of a person who is upon tawheed and stays away from shirk, that Allah keeps that person guided or guides that person to the rightful way. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ always used to make dua for that. Ya muqallib al-qulubi thabbit qalbi ala deenik. Oh Allah, the one who changes the hearts of the people, keep my heart firm upon your religion. Firm upon this way and the right methodology. That's also what Allah said in the Qur'an. يُثَبِّتُ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا بِالْقَوْلِ الثَّابِتِ فِي الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ That Allah makes firm those people who have iman in this world and in the hereafter in the barzakh. They'll be kept firm. So here that's what the other reward is for the, pe- <coughs> for the people who are upon tawheed that Allah rightly guides them. Allah rightly guides them in this world so that they are safe from shirk and that they are safe from being misguided and innovations. As the Shaykh says here, Shaykh Salih al-Fawzan, Salimina min al-shirk fi al-a'mal. They'll be safe from any shirk in their actions. Wasalimina min al-bid'i wal-khurafat. And they'll be safe from innovations and deviances and misguidances. They'll be safe from that. Allah will keep them or guide them to the straight path due to their practicing of the tawheed and the aqidah and their abandonment and staying away from the shirk. So this is what's mentioned regarding those people that Allah will give them insight. Allah will give them clarity so that they can worship Allah properly. The ones who are sincere in practicing that tawheed, sincere in following the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, and they stay away from that shirk and that misguidance. So there you see one of the <coughs> one of the great clear virtues of tawheed. A person who practices the tawheed, then Allah keeps that person firm and grounded, and keeps that person or guides that person to the upright methodology and the upright way, and keeps them protected from the misguidance and the innovation. This is one of the great virtues of Tawheed. The one who worships Allah alone, has dependence and trust in Allah alone, doesn't go to these people who say they are awliya, and go to them and bow to them and give them money and all these things. That is from shirk. A person has his trust, his heart connected to Allah. This is the Tawheed. Then after that, there is this hadith of Ubadah ibn Samit, رضي الله عنه, one of the companions who says, قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم, من شهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له, وأن محمدا عبده ورسوله, وأن عيسى عبد الله ورسوله, وكلمته ألقاها إلى مريم, وروح منه, والجنة حق, والنار حق, this hadith which is in Al-Bukhari a Muslim, Ubadat ibn Samit, radiallahu anhu, the companion says, that the messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, that whoever testifies, that there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah, la ilaha illallah, 
that there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whoever testifies to that, وَحْدَهُ لَا شَرِيكَ لَهُ That Allah alone has the right to be worshipped without any partners, without any associates of any nature whatsoever. That is the first condition here. Whomsoever testifies to that shahada. And we've already mentioned, the shahada is three parts. You must believe in the meaning of the shahada. You must understand the tawheed, the shahada requires of you. Secondly, you must utter it. You must say it. You must pronounce the shahada. And thirdly, you must act upon the shahada. That is what's required of a person. It is not simply just to say it and not believe in it and not act upon it. Rather, it is to believe in it and the meaning of it and to say it for that who is able and to act upon it. That is what is required of a person. As for the one who is unable to speak, for example, then he's exempt. But for the one who is able, then the pronunciation of it is a condition. So the first part here is whomsoever testifies that there is none who has the right to be worshipped except Allah, he alone without any associates. And the person testifies anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluh that Muhammad sallallahu is the servant of Allah and his messenger. Again there are two parts there now. You testify that Muhammad is the servant of Allah and the messenger of Allah. The servant of Allah, meaning you do not exaggerate and start to say that the Prophet ﷺ was made out of light, or that everything was made from the light of the Prophet ﷺ, this whole creation, and that he used to walk without a shadow. You don't make up these types of exaggerations and these types of extremists, or this type of uh, ghulu, this type of excessiveness. He don't fall into that. We testify Muhammad was the servant of Allah. As Allah termed Muhammad in the Quran itself, Allah mentioned the Prophet as the abd, as the servant of Allah. Then, وَرَسُولُهُ You also testify that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. Meaning that you don't fall short in terms of practicing the sunnah of the Prophet when you testify Muhammad is the messenger of Allah, then you must follow the commandments and stay away from the prohibitions. You must follow the sunnah. So a person balances between the affairs. He understands that Muhammad is the servant and slave of Allah, but that he was the best of creation and the seal of the prophets and the final messenger. Given this revelation. <coughs> so the person testifies that Muhammad is the servant of Allah and the messenger of Allah. And as the scholars, they say, that includes four aspects. Your testification of Muhammad being the messenger and the servant of Allah includes four aspects. The first of them is, That you will obey the messenger of Allah in that which he commanded. And that you'll stay away from that which the Prophet ﷺ warned against. وَتَصْدِيقُهُ فِيمَا أَخْبَرَهُ And that you will believe in all of the information that the Prophet ﷺ told us about, the punishment of the grave, the day of judgment, all of that. 
And that Allah can only be worshipped in the way that the Prophet ﷺ told us. The legislation, the revelation. You cannot do bid'ah in worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's the second part here. Whoever testifies that Muhammad ﷺ is the servant and the messenger of Allah. Then there's another part. And whoever testifies, أَنَّ عِيسَى عَبْدَ اللَّهِ عَبْدُ اللَّهِ وَرَسُولُهُ That Isa alayhi salam is the servant of Allah and the messenger of Allah. That Isa alayhi salam is also the servant of Allah and the messenger of Allah. Again, he is the servant of Allah, so we do not exaggerate as some of the people have exaggerated upon their misguidance. And say that Isa alayhi salam is the son of Allah. This is an exaggeration and something which is deviated from the truth. It is incorrect and it is false to say that. Allah said in the Quran, قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٌ اللَّهُ الصَّمَدٌ لَمْ يَلِدْ وَلَمْ يُلَدْ وَلَمْ يَكُلْ لَهُ كُفُوًا أَحَدٌ Say that he is one. قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٌ اللَّهُ الصَّمَدٌ The one who everybody turns to with all of their needs. لَمْ يَكُلْ لَهُ لَمْ يَلِدْ وَلَمْ يُلَدْ he did not give birth, nor was he given birth to. And he does not have any partner, any equal, any participant. So Allah has no sons. Allah has no partners. So we do affirm that Isa was the servant of Allah. And that he was the messenger of Allah. So Isa is one of the prophets and the messengers that we believe in. In fact, Isa is from the five greatest messengers in Islam. And what are, who are those five greatest messengers of Islam? Who is the greatest of the messengers? Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. then. Ibrahim alayhi salam then. Musa alayhi salam then. Ibrahim already said it, that was number two. Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa then Ibrahim alayhi salam, then Musa alayhi salam. Then Isa alayhi salam and Nuh alayhi salam, whichever fourth and fifth. Isa alayhi salam and Nuh alayhi salam. So we affirm that Isa alayhi salam is the servant of Allah. And we affirm and we believe that he is the messenger of Allah. <coughs> and it is impermissible for somebody to refuse to believe in that. You must believe in that as a Muslim. That Isa alayhi salam, Jesus, was the, the, the servant of Allah and the messenger of Allah. وَكَلِمَتُهُ أَلْقَاهَا إِلَى مَرْيَمْ And that you believe Isa a.s. was the word that Allah cast upon Maryam. Because how was Isa a.s. created and born? As it says, كُنْ فَيَكُنْ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, كُنْ be and it is. So Isa a.s. was created by that word, be and it is. So you believe in that, that he was born without a father. وَرُوحٌ مِنْهُ And one of the souls of Allah that Allah placed into Isa a.s. You believe in all of that. And you believe الْجَنَّةِ حق That paradise is real. You have iman and you have faith that paradise is certainly real. And as it is the belief of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah that paradise is real and it was created by Allah and that the hellfire is real and it was created by Allah. That the paradise and the hell have both been created by Allah and both of them are real. However, are they already created or will they be created on the day of judgment? 
They are already created. Some of the people of misguidance, some of the people who don't understand, they say that Allah is going to create them on the Day of Judgment. That is wrong. Allah has already created the hellfire, it's already there. Allah has already created paradise, it's already there. Paradise, as Allah has mentioned, and the revelation it states, and the sunnah it states, it is levels, levels of paradise that go up. And the hellfire, it is pits. Each pit is lower than the next pit. So they are created and they are real. So you have iman in that. So this hadith says, whoever has iman in all of those things, Allah will enter that person into paradise. Allah will enter that person into paradise. Whatever his deeds are, whatever the level of his deeds are, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will enter that person into paradise, whatever the level of his deeds are. What does that mean, whatever the levels of his deeds are? One meaning of it is that this person will be entered into paradise even if he has sins. Because this is a person who died upon Tawheed, he didn't have any shirk, but he might have some sins. This hadith, some of the scholars they say, it shows that the person will just be forgiven those sins and enter into paradise for having iman in all those things. Other scholars they say actually what it means is that he will be entered into paradise whatever the level of his deeds Meaning, according to the level of his deeds, he will enter paradise. So if he's got lots of good deeds and only a few minor deeds, ill deeds, then he'll go into paradise. But if he's got lots of sins as well, then maybe he'll be punished first and then he'll go into paradise. So it means the same as the other narrations. That a person who has iman in all of these things, has belief in all of these things, then that person will enter paradise. Either directly or perhaps he may be punished if he has other sins first, but then he will still enter paradise. So all of these narrations are telling you that the greatest virtue of Tawheed is, that whomsoever is upon Tawheed, then that person will definitely enter paradise. The one who is upon Tawheed and does not commit any shirk, then that person will enter paradise. That is from the greatest of the virtues of Tawheed. Then after that we have the hadith of Utban. فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ حَرَّمَ عَلَىٰ النَّارِ مَنْ قَالَ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ يَبْتَغِ بِذَلِكَ وَجْهَ اللَّهِ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is a hadith in Bukhari again, Allah has made it haram for the fire. What has Allah made haram upon the hellfire? A person who says لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ he believes in that, he acts upon that, there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah. And he seeks the face of Allah by that, meaning sincerely upon Tawheed. Allah has made it haram upon the hellfire for any person to enter it who is sincerely upon Tawheed. Sincerely upon Tawheed, upon the La ilaha illallah, that there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah. A person who is sincerely upon that, staying away from shirk, staying away from the sins, then Allah has made the hellfire haram to take that person. That person will go straight to paradise. So this indicates a person who is sincere, he doesn't commit any sins, and if he does, he quickly repents from them sincerely to Allah. So he's at the higher levels of the tawheed, at the high level of tawheed and the high level of practicing the religion. 
then that person enters into paradise directly without punishment. Then the final narration of this particular chapter, عَنْ أَبِي سَعِيدْ الْخُدْرِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ عَنْ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم قال قَالَ مُوسَى In this narration it's mentioned that Musa alayhi salam said, Ya Rabbi, alimni shay'an adhkuruka wa ad'uka bih. Teach me something that I can remember you with and I can make dua to you with. قال, so it was said to him, قُلْ يَا Musa, Say, O Musa, La ilaha illallah. Say, La ilaha illallah as your remembrance. قال, Musa alayhi salam said, Ya Rabbi, my Lord, كُلُّ عِبَادِكَ يَقُولُونَ هَذَا All of your servants say that. قَالْ يَا مُوسَى So Allah said, O oh Musa, لَوْ أَنَّ السَّمَاوَاتِ السَّبْعِ وَعَامِرُهُنَّ غَيْرِ وَالْأَرَضِينَ السَّبْعِ فِي كِفَّةِ وَلَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ فِي كِفَّةِ مَا لَتْ بِهِنَّ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ Then Allah said to Musa alayhi salam that Musa, if La ilaha illallah was in one side of a weighing scale, of a balance. And all of the seven heavens, <coughs> and all of the seven heavens, and everything which is in those seven heavens, all of the seven heavens, and everything in the seven heavens, and all of the earths, uh, seven earths, Everything besides Allah, all of the rest of the creation, if they were put on one side of the wing scale, and la ilaha illallah was put on the other side, la ilaha illallah would be heavier than all of that creation. Showing the virtue and the greatness of la ilaha illallah. So this again indicates to you a great virtue in this narration. And there is some speech regarding the authenticity of this narration. But the... Meaning of it is clear, and that is to highlight to you the great virtue of Tawheed again. Finally, there is the narration of Anas. He says, سَمِعْتُ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم يقول, I heard the Prophet say, قَالَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى That Allah said, يَا بْنَ آدَمْ أَوْ سَنَبْ آدَمْ لَوْ أَتَيْتَنِي بِقُرَابِ الْأَرْضِ خَطَايَا If you came to me with an earth full of mistakes, ثُمَّ لَقِيْتَنِي لَا تُشْرِكُوا بِي شَيْئًا Then you came to me, but you weren't committing any shirk though. لَأَتَيْتُكَ بِقُرَابِهَا مَغْفِرًا Then I would come to you with an equal amount of forgiveness. That if you came to me with an earth full of errors, that amount of errors, earth full of mistakes, but you didn't commit any shirk though, then you would find the same amount of forgiveness for me, from me, for those errors and those mistakes. So again, this highlights to you that as long as the shirk isn't committed, the remainder can be forgiven by Allah. But the shirk is the key, that is the sin that must be avoided. And the tawheed is the key that must be practiced and implemented. So this shows to you the greatness of tawheed and the severity and the danger of shirk. So if a person realizes that, you see how great the virtues of tawheed are now, you will want to really learn what is all of this Tawheed then? What am I supposed to do to practice this Tawheed? What am I supposed to do to make sure that I'm doing this Tawheed then so I can have all these narrations and I can be safe and secure and safe from the hellfire? That's what you then want to learn and that's what's going to come in the remainder of the book. 
It's going to explain all of the different ways to practice this Tawheed and all of the different things that are shirk so you can stay away from it so that you can be in these narrations. You can be part of these narrations applicable to you that you are safe and secure from that hellfire because of coming with Tawheed and not committing any shirk. So that's what we'll carry on from next time. Next week, inshallah ta'ala, approximately 7.30, 7.40 p.m. inshallah next week. Uh, and next week we'll start with the chapter which explains that whoever does practice all of that tawheed properly, then he will definitely enter paradise without any hellfire. If you practice all of that tawheed properly, everything, don't commit any of the shirk, then you'll enter paradise directly. So that's what we'll talk about next week inshallah ta'ala from the story of Ibrahim alayhi salam again, a different part of the story of Ibrahim alayhi salam. We'll start from that next week at approximately 7.30 insha'Allah. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Ah. There's a difference about the prayer, the one who doesn't pray. A person who doesn't believe in the prayer, he's a kafir. Somebody who doesn't believe in praying, he doesn't believe in it. He doesn't believe it's part of Islam, he doesn't accept it, he rejects it. That's kufr. But the person who knows, of course you're supposed to pray, it's part of Islam, you're supposed to pray, but he's lazy and he doesn't do it. That is where some of the scholars, they still say, that's kufr still, you can't leave the prayer. But many of the scholars, they say he's not a kafir then. He believes in the prayer, but laziness, it's a big sin, major sin, that he doesn't pray. So that's a difference about that, about the one who doesn't pray out of laziness. The one who rejects it, that's finished. But the one who accepts it, but laziness, that's different. So you can't in the no, the one who accepts it, then he can be. If he doesn't accept the prayer, doesn't believe in Islam, he's not Muslim in the first place. It doesn't matter if he's a family then. If a person doesn't accept the prayer, doesn't believe in it, but you have to understand what that means. Just because somebody doesn't pray, that doesn't mean they don't accept the prayer. That just means most of the time they're lazy, they can't be bothered. They're not practicing. Doesn't mean they're rejecting the prayer. That, this is talking about the one who rejects it, doesn't believe in it, doesn't accept it. He rejects Islam. He's not a Muslim then. Subhan, it, 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 it's not an appropriate name. Because Subhan, it means that Subhanallah, when you say Subhanallah, it means that all of the shortcomings, everything which is wrong, Allah is free from that. So you can't really give that type of name to a person. It's not suitable to give it to a person. Uh, if somebody has that name, it's better to change it to something else. Subhan isn't a good name for a person to have. Because Subhanallah means that you're taking away all the deficiencies from Allah. Allah is perfect and uh, free of any type of shortcoming. Subhanallah. So Subhan isn't really a type of name that you should use. The names that the Muslims, you choose the names of the, uh, the uh, Abdullah and Abdurrahman, Abdurrahim, Abdul, all the Abd names, they are good names to have, the best names to have. Then the names of the companions, all of the names of the companions, uh, Jabir and uh, uh, Jubair and uh, Mu'adh, and all of these names are companions that we've been doing now, Abbas, all the different ones. Pick the names of the companions, they're good. And after that, you can just pick any other good Muslim names that have good meanings to them. But people sometimes, they want to go overboard. They take all these new names from places and the Muslims never used to use these names. The Salaf never used these names. So it's not good to use those names. Better to stick to the Abd names, Abdullah, Abdurrahman, etc. Or the companions names. A lot of their names in our 
countries, basically, they called it Ghulam, and they put Ghulam Murtaza or Ghulam Mustafa. No, that is shirk. If you say Ghulam or Rasul, that's shirk. That name you have to change. Haram. That name is Haram. Ghulam or Rasul means the, it means Abdul Rasul. Ghulam in Arabic means Abd as well. So that means the slave of the messenger. Haram. You have to say slave of Allah. Ghulam in Arabic, it means slave as well. So it's like saying Abdul Rasul. That's what it's like saying. So that name has to be changed. You can't keep the name Ghulam al-Rasul, Ghulam al-Mustafa. They're haram those names. They have to be changed. Angels again, some of the scholars allow it. But other scholars say it's makruh. To name uh, uh, Mikail and Jibreel and Jibreel. These names, some of the scholars, they say makruh. Because they're names of angels. So some of the scholars, they say, don't use those names for your kids, for people. They're names of angels. Now some scholars say it's not a problem. But probably better to avoid those names as well. Many of the scholars say they are names of angels, so avoid those. Especially for girls. People name their girls Malaika. And these types of names. And they give these uh, names of angels to girls. The angels are not females. That's even worse. So the names of angels should be avoided too. Keep the names of Abdullah, Abdurrahman, Abdurrahim, all the Abd names, the Sahaba names. They are the beautiful names. Iman, it's not that uh, as much. Because Iman, some of the scholars, they say it's not suitable because there's tazkiyah. You're self-recommending yourself. Iman, that I'm full of Iman. It's like praise. So some scholars say it's not suitable from that angle. That it's a type of praise for yourself. Iman, I'm full of Iman. You're praising yourself. So some scholars say don't give these types of names. But some scholars say it's not a major thing for those types of names. That's not uh, like a completely haram, you have to change it. But maybe better still to avoid those names. Some scholars say there's praise in them. If someone's become Muslim, they are after two witnesses and the conditions. <coughs> I'm not sure about the conditions of witnesses and things. Inshallah, we'll, we'll research into that, bring down the condi- There are a hadith mentioned in the books of fiqh about a person when he becomes Muslim and what he has to do and some of those narrations about the bathing and other things. We can try and look into that, what the particular conditions are, but I'm not aware of any specifics like that. Hmm. So we'll leave it there, and we'll carry on next week, inshallah.